Praise the Lord, saints. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, I really like the music in the background there and wondering if that could play throughout this whole sermon today. All right, can I pray for us? Dear gracious Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for allowing us to, uh, to come together and corporately worship you, Lord to sing our praises to you, to um, send you our prayers, Lord, with the confidence that you hear them, Lord, and uh, and also to hear your word preached, Lord. And I pray, uh, Lord, that you will allow me to preach uh, with a spirit of humility. Lord, I I pray that you will just uh, calm my nerves, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that uh, the saints will be blessed and encouraged as we talk about your wonderful, glorious love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 First of all, I'd like to welcome you all to MacGav Community Church. And um, just a few things before I begin. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand now. And um, one of our uh, ushers or pastors will, <laughs> will hand you. Right? We believe in servant leadership here. Amen. <laughs> And also, um, if, you know, uh, if I'm preaching and there's a point where you might need a little clarity, you know, if you have a question that you think will be uh, a benefit to the whole body, uh, please feel free to uh, ask it. If you're not quite sure, then you may want to just keep it to yourself. And uh, did that come off kind of (laughs) snarky? I'm up here about to preach about love and I'm already getting snarky. Um... But if you're not quite sure, you know, just feel free to uh, uh, come to me or uh, one of the elders or pastors and uh, and uh, ask. Uh, with that being said, um, can I get everybody to stand up as I read the word? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right. Um, first of all, I'd like to just once again welcome you. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been celebrating Advent where we, we praise and glorify God for the sending of his son as well as we uh, anticipate the return of our king. 
Over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Leon has uh, preached on uh, joy as well as peace. And so we were just really blessed. And so this week, I'll be taking on the topic of love. So the scripture says, beloved, let us love uh, one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, know, uh, who, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is what? Love. love. Next slide. Now this passage that I just read to you is one of those socially familiar passage. The ideal that God is love, we see it on coffee mugs, you know, paintings, t-shirts, um, what is that rug before somebody come in your crib and they stump their feet? Yeah, the welcome rug, God is love, stump, 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 right? <laughs> and so we're familiar with this concept that God is love. Uh, and, and we hear that God, like love is from God. And, you know, a lot of people wouldn't argue that. In fact, a lot of people would look at this passage of scripture and go, sounds right, right? I love, right? And, and so, therefore, I know God. And so I brought this picture because it was a meme. Anybody knows what a meme is? Or everybody knows what a meme is? Anybody who doesn't know what a meme is? All right. Praise the Lord. Well, when you go on Facebook and you see these little pictures and they have some type of caption on them, um, probably familiar with the one meme that just really, um, let's see, with Denzel Washington at the fight, you know, a lot of you, you know, where it had this caption and sometimes it's Matthew is like, no, no, never mind. Let me, let me bring it back. Let me bring it back. Basically, a meme is this. It's just a cat. It's a picture with a caption. And sometimes this caption is something that is humorous. Sometimes it's um, um, kind of snarky. Uh, sometimes it just kind of communicate uh, inspiration or a worldview. All right. And so in this meme, it says no one is born with hatred or intolerance. Right. And this this kind of the sentiment is you, you see it on several type of memes. It's usually this. Baby, black, white, and it says, you know, we aren't born racist. We're taught it, right? Or we're not born to hate. We're taught it, right? And most of us, you know, that's what we, we, we believe because in the natural sense, it just makes sense, right? None of us will think of ourselves as hateful. I have did a lot of street witnessing, and one of the things, I don't think I ever came across anybody to say, man, I'm hateful, wow. right? <laughs> I'm wicked, right? You know, it saved me a lot of um, questions if they did, but that never really happened. In fact, ironically, sometimes I think the world is looking for uh, is Savior now to be born. Because we always got this concept that, all right, you know what? We realize as adults, we messed it all up. And so we like, man, if we can just get to the kids, 
right? If we could just teach the kids, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. All right. Give them a... No, okay. Um, but the problem is this. We're not born loving. We're not born good. And so we're waiting for, you know, if we putting our hope in our children, right? Understand this, we jacked up, and so we're going to produce some really hateful kids. And if anybody is a parent, you know one of our main tasks as a parent is to teach our kids how not to be selfish, right? They come out the womb selfish, right? They don't let daddy sleep, right? They don't care about mama sleeping, right? You know, testing my love. I'm like, man, if you don't go to sleep. But the reality of it is, is that, man, when we think about love, we think about goodness, right? We, we think about love that is patterned after our own emotions. So even when we are trying to love, is according to our desires, our emo- emotions, um, our environment. The reality of it is, is that an environment can kind of give you the direction to point your hate. You know, if you're born in this country, you know, you grow up in a conservative family, <laughs> you know, you might have your, uh, your self-interest and your love and your hate pointed in one direction. If you're born in this country, right, you look at this young black baby and young white baby. I think he's black. I'm not quite sure. But he's brown, so he'll work. Um, <laughs> you see these two kids. I mean, in our country, the reality of it is, is they could be destined for a collision course, right? One can grow up in the urban cities and poor schools, right? Um, uh, you know, having to deal with historical uh, racism and uh, injustices, right? Police brutality, just all these things we hear about. And the other child can grow up in a, in a, suburban, uh, a suburban family. And his view of America is one of uh, land of the free, home of the brave, right? And so these two could possibly be destined to meet in the streets, right? To riot, to fight one another on Facebook, on, on, on the news, right? In the political arena, right? We need something. We need a love that is outside ourselves. And so, once again, our problem is, is that our love is patterned after ourselves. And to kind of help us um, understand that, I, I want to take this time to um, just explain it and about, explain my ideals of the way I see love play out in the community. Next slide. So these are just five general observations of man's love, right? Man's love is conditioned by sin. Um, to that first point, once again, we are not born loving. We are not born um, just really uh, desiring unity. You know, scripture talks about this. It says, uh, Psalms 58.3, the wicked go astray from birth, right? Speaking lies. Ephesians 2.3, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Mark 7.15 says, there is nothing outside a person, person that
that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And in Genesis, right, before God wiped everybody out, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Right? And so this sin nature that we're born with, as David talked about, in iniquity I was conceived. It's not talking about that his mom did some type of of dirt and he was uh, conceived. It wasn't talking about the sin of his mother, but the fact that he was, at his conception, he was infected with sin, right? He was sinful. Even before he exited the womb, he was sinful. And, And so we are born with this natural inclination to not only hate others, but also hate God. Now you say, well, I don't hate others, right? But when you think about our love, right, and the way we kind of use one another, right, kind of going into that second point, so we're conditioned by sin, and then man's love is, right, is a consumer-driven love. You know, uh, probably several Advent seasons ago, uh, J.D. brought this point. We talked about relational consumerism, right? And the, the fact that we just, we use people, right? And we should be emptying up, we should be emptying out ourselves for others, but instead, right, we, um, we just consume from others and fill ourselves. And, and, and so as this, as this consuming, and I kind of lost myself here. So as we are living out this, self-centered love, we spend our lives seeking approval, self-worth, self-fulfillment, attention, affections, right? Those things that makes us feel love. So we spend our lives seeking, right? And then, but we also spend our lives uh, using those same things, not to just love and care for one another, but try to get that from people. And so I am showing you approval. Now you show me some approval. I gave you some love. So won't you show me some love? I showed you affection. Now you give me affection. You see, that's, that's not love, right? You know? And so our, our love is consumer-driven. And the reality of it is, is this. We are so depressed because when we fail to get Right? We fail to get that approval, that affection, whatever we're trying to get in order to make us feel love, and we don't get it, then that's when we become depressed. You know, I know that there, you know, there may be things um, physical, but I, I just think that so many of us, we wrestle and struggle with depression because we're fighting this sinful, futile um, desire to be loved. And then man's love changes with the wind. I looked up several definitions of love in the dictionary, and the thing that ran through them all was that love is a strong feeling or affection. And so as we are living in pursuit or or as we are living in pursuit of love, seeking and consuming from others, right, our affection from them begins to ebb and flow according to how they feed us. Right? You know, man and woman gets married to death, do them part. But in the marriage, that affection begins to wane because 
You married a husband that was sinful or you married a wife that was sinful. But what do we do instead of um, seeking that person good and trying to minister and help that person? We begin to grow cold from that person. And now the world gave us this thing called irreconcilable differences. So we don't have to take ownership of that. I just couldn't love you. That my love had a, had a limit and you reached it. And so now I want to go set my, my separate way to go find someone else who will give me that affection. Right? That fresh feeling. Right? And so our love changes with the wind. And then man's love is condemned. Right? If you live a life to the glory of yourself... Is a life lived in rebellion. But once again, we, we can't help ourselves because the way we love, it makes sense. But scripture tells us that there's a way that seems right, but in the end is death. And so as you're loving and you're doing love your way, you're just heading down to the road of destruction. And then lastly, Man's love is cray-cray, right? It's crazy. Because even though man's love is so jacked up, he thinks it's still big enough to hope in. He still believes like his hope is something that can bring peace, that can bring joy, right, to the earth. That makes no sense. But you see it really in this time of year, in these holiday seasons. I know a lot of times the materialism of Christmas is brought up. And we think about just the shopping and the spending of money and just the hustle and bustle of Christmas. But this is the holiday season. That's why I don't get offended when people don't tell me Merry Christmas. Because I recognize it truly is the holiday season. In fact, this season is... It reminds me of Mars Hills in Athens where you had all these different gods, right? And everybody was worshiping their own God. And that's how this Advent season is, is everybody worshiping their own God. You have the celebration of Kwanzaa, the celebration of Hanukkah. You know, even people who are not religious are celebrating their humanity, Right. Even as I deliver my mail route, I deliver mail in Dearborn Heights. Right. Got one of my former supervisors here. So I'm like, oh, OK, I hope she don't talk about my work ethic. But um, <laughs> no, nah, it's all good. Right. But I, I, I deliver mail in Dearborn Heights in Dearborn. And there's a lot of Muslims there. And one of the things that really struck me is that some of them, not all of them, but there's a few that begin to hang up Christmas lights. Um, now, they don't do the nativity scene. You know, but they're hanging up the lights, you know, and you will see a sign, joy, peace, love, hope, right? Because even they, you know, you may not get it from certain news outlets, but even a lot of them have this understanding, right? And this need um, to be free from the misery of this world. And so they have this, this desire and this longing for a savior, But they're looking for that savior in themselves and their ability to love and hope. And so it's just crazy. 
And so, now I want to, so that's man's love, right? So I could go on and on and on and on like that. But now I want to talk about true love. Amen? God is love. God is, is love means that God continually gives of himself to others and seek their benefits. That definition alone, you know, I don't, I didn't, I looked and I ain't going to say I looked at all the internet, but I could not find like that concept in a definition. So it just really affirmed me that the beautiful thing about God, the real God, the true God is man is not even creative enough to make him up. Like God's love, you cannot make it up that there's a God whose nature is love, who is all powerful, just all these things. And he loves man and he gives himself up for us. Right. And in and, and the way we see this, we see this in the creation. Right. The fact that he created us to give him glory and to enjoy him forever, right? To, to seeing his praise for us, to look at him and see his praises and to see how good he is, his care for us, uh, his care for his creation, right? And he cares for not only for the people who fear him, but for his enemies, right? And that's really tough for us, right? <laughs> like to love our enemies, right? But God just continuously gives himself. Of all, for to us, and so that is that is God's love. It is His it is His nature, and it's one of the things like God doesn't like is God is not loving, right? When we think about ourselves, there's times where we could be loving, but His essential character is love, His goodness for you from the very beginning, right? He means you nothing but good. And so what I want to do just really quick is just, as we talked about man's pattern for love, I want to talk about God's pattern, right? And his love is, is pattern after his character of who he is, right? And so I want to just go through some of his attributes. This is not an exhaustive list of his attributes, but man, I just want you to, to really just come to just see the transcendent love of God, amen, and how that love came down on us in a very mighty way. And so the first one is God is independent. God is self-contained, self-sufficient, self-sustained. In Acts 17, 24, 5, it says, God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by the human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. Now, it's important for me here to note that God didn't create us because he needed someone to love, right? He didn't create us because he had an outage. He created us in a place of strength, in a place of abundance, right? You know, I don't want to get it twisted, right? That, you know, people begin to say, oh, God needed me, right? Which is the gospel you hear at times. But God didn't need you, right? Isn't that romantic? <laughs> you know, your man come up to you and he gets on one knee. He'd be like, look, I love you. I don't need you. <laughs> right? 
But the significance of that is God is independent, so therefore his love is independent. And so therefore, because God don't need us, he's not looking um, to use us, right? Right? And so even though it may not sound romantic, it's truth and it's glorious. And here's the thing. Even though God doesn't need us, but because he created us out of his love and gave us his image, he values us. And he desires us to, to, he desires a relationship with us. And that's where we get our meaning, right? God doesn't need us, but he wants us. So God is independent. The next one is God is holy. God is holy, so therefore his love is what? Holy. Now, this is a a quote from R.C. Sproul. It says, God's holiness is what separates him from all other beings, what makes him separate and distinct from everything else. God's holiness is more than just his perfection and sinless purity. It is the essence of his otherness, his transcendence. God's holiness embodies the mystery of his awesomeness and calls us to gaze in the wonder at him as we begin to comprehend just a little of his majesty. God, love is holy. And, is, and when you speak of the holiness of God, you're speaking of his, his otherness, right? And the, the fact of it's, it's, it's how he's so much different from us, right? God is sinless. He's perfect. He's pure. And that's where his beauty comes from. Right. And that holiness goes through all of his attributes. Right. And so his mercy is different from our mercy. His compassion is different from our compassion. And his love is different from our love. Right. And, you know, as I I was just thinking about how different God love is, you know, when you come um, to fear him and to love him, when you're reconciled to him, by Lord Jesus, right? And you're living your life as a born-again believer. It's just so hard to even receive his love. You know why? Because we grew up in this in an abusive world, in abusive relationships, where we're just trying to get from people and people get from us. And so that's what we're used to, right? It makes sense? We're used to. It's like coming out. So we're coming out this abusive relationship, and now we're in this relationship with a holy God who means us nothing but good, who love is pure. And we have a hard time understanding it, right? We want to say, God, um, I, I want to I be with you, but first I got to deal with these, this, this porn addiction, you know, or I got to deal with, um, man, I'm really material, Lord. I got to deal with this materialism or um, I got to deal with my, my drug addiction, Lord. I got to get myself cleaned up and then I'll be ready, right? And we, we, we can love on each other. But God is saying, no, I gave you my son, right? Well, you say, okay, I, I know you gave me your son, God. That's all good. Praise the Lord. Jesus loves me. This I know. But let me build this ministry for you, right? Let me, let me just really, like, just do great things in the kingdom, Lord. And, 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 and right, I want to I earn your love. I want to earn your respect, right? Because that's what we're used to. And we, we find, like, our whole Christian walk is that we're fighting against that lie, right? We're fighting against projecting our understanding of love onto God. 
Because then when I can't deal with this porn or I can't deal with this alcohol or I, I, I haven't built this mighty ministry, he's saying, oh, well, God doesn't love me. Man, that's sinful, right? You just call God a liar, right? Right? So we, when we first come to Christ and we first take those first baby steps, right, we're almost like in love rehab, right, where we're walking away from the love of the Lord, walking away from the love of the world, whew, and we're walking in the love of the holy, of a holy God. Amen. The next, God is unchanging. God is unchangeable. Uh, in his being, perfection, and promises. I have James up there. Great scripture, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the fathers of light, uh, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so God, he doesn't change in his being, right? Uh, He's holy now, he's holy everlasting from eternity, right? And so that means that his love, is never going to change. Like, you're never going to do anything where God goes, ooh, you know what? I'm just not feeling you anymore, right? Uh, his perfection and his promises, right? His promises to deliver a savior to the world, right? The promises that he has for those who fear him. Those things never change. And I want to go to, if you got your Bibles... I want you to turn with me to the 8th chapter of Romans. When you get there, say amen. I remember how many times I used to lie in church. I ain't even get there yet. I'd be like, amen. Because <laughs> of pride. Especially when it's that book of Titus or one of those books. You'd be like, oh, Anyway, yeah, yeah, I've been there. I'm going to read 35 to 39. Now, check this out. This is so sweet. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's nothing can, that, that is going to separate you from the Lord. There's nothing that's going to change his mind about his children, right? He's unchangeable. Oh, how I wish our love was that way, right? How I wish that, I, 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 you know, I, I fight the battle, right? As I'm loving my wife, you know, I'm, I'm loving her and stuff. But then, right, in my sinfulness, I, I find myself loving her less, 
right? And, and because it's not because of her, it's because of me. And, but I praise the Lord because I'm going to tell you, we should have been divorced probably about 30 times because of irreconcilable difference, right? But I praise the Lord because of his grace and his spirit, his unchanging spirit that, that is within me and within her has allowed us to continue to fight. Amen. So God is unchanging and his love is therefore what? Unchanging. Next. Uh, God is infinite. God has no limit to his power, present knowledge. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us. You know, again, I'm not trying to get into like a, a, a thorough um, teaching of infinity or just God's attribute, but just something for us to begin to go, man, that is God and that is his love. And his love is a, and so if God is infinite, meaning all powerful, what does that mean? That his love is what? Infinite. And it's all powerful, right? Our love is so impotent, right? We, we can't keep our relationships together. You know, we have a hard time just dealing with one another, how do we think we can have a love that is powerful enough to bring in world peace, right? We all got our own separate ideologies. We all either conservative or progressive, right? With our own definition of what justice and love is, right? And somehow we're going to reconcile these totally contradictory things, right? But, right, but, it's just there's no power in it, right? No matter who gets into the president's office, right, whether he's the one you voted for or not, he doesn't have the power to bring peace. You know, the thing that struck me is even I think about from the time of slavery to the time of now, we have had a lot of different policy changes. But have even those policy changes brought about peace? Did the end of slavery bring peace in this country? Did the end of Jim Crow bring peace to this country? Did a black president bring peace to this country? There's no policy. There's nothing that we can do that will bring peace and hope to this country, that will bring love to the masses. We're impotent. And so even though we got our crew, right, understand this. You know, they, God may use them to restrain some wickedness from the earth. Common grace. Praise the Lord. Right? But we need more than just a restraint. Right? We, we need a holy love, a powerful love, an, an infinite love, an unchanging love. Now, think about this. Right? So, I talked about all that beautiful stuff. Right? And so... God's love is patterned after his attributes. And we've seen these attributes, and there's plenty more attributes that we can go through. A great book is A.W. Pink's Attributes of God. I really love that book. But not only do his attributes tell us the quality of his love, it also tells us the quality of his wrath. Think about it. If God is all-powerful, then when we sin against a powerful being, the all-powerful being in the universe, whoa, think about it, right? right? God is love, right? 
right? But he's also all-powerful. And when you sin, there's a lot of difference from sinning against your little kid to sinning against the all-powerful creator of the universe. And so if God is unchanging in his being and perfection and promises, that means his promise to deal with lawbreakers is not going to change. Right? Amen? Right? For the, he promised that the wages of sin is death. If God is eternal, then his punishment is what? Eternal. There's no parole. Right? If God is holy and he hates sin, then he just, and he just can't let it slide. Right? He can't. And so if, if this beautiful, loving God, right, is so good to us, right? And we just seen the quality of his love and we don't bow down our feet and worship him, yes. right? If we show this ungratefulness, yes. right? If he says the two greatest laws, right? If, if the law, all the laws can be summed up in to love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and to love one another as you love yourself, and you live a life and it's characterized by you creating idols and gods to worship and abusing the creation, man, what do you think the implication of that is? Now, good. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you also about, but that God's love is included, right? Includes his justice. His love includes his justice. Joseph, Joseph Fletcher says, justice is simply love distributed, right? It's love distributed. And so as we are caring for one another, giving of ourselves to one another, looking out for each other's well-being, right? And we're, we're receiving God's love and we're recognizing him for his love, right? Then, then, then we, that's, that's, what's living a righteous, that's what living a righteous just life is. But the problem is, once again, we don't live that way, Right? We break all the rules. You can go through the list of the Ten Commandments. You done broke them all. And the one that gets you is when he just go. To, you know, even, even if you're right, if you, you think about doing something wrong, you hit. <laughs> right? Why? Because our sin just goes into every element of our being. And so now we're hopelessly in hate. <laughs> Are we? You see, and so our punishment, so God should punish us, right? In all the ways I just mentioned it. But God also loved us, right? We're tripping on him, right? But his love hasn't changed. And it's powerful enough, right, where there's no limit to what he would give us in order to appease his wrath. You see, he can't just let you go, right? 
then that'll just contradict his holiness and his goodness. He's the perfect judge, right? And so what happens then is Christmas. <laughs> that's what, that's Christmas. That in the ultimate act of love, he sends his son to pay the penalty for our sins, Right? And, and the beautiful thing about that is that this is like the ultimate drop mic moment, right? Anybody heard that term? When you get to the point where you said that all you think you could say and you just what? Drop mic, exit stage left, right? This was like the drop mic, right? Where there's no other way that he could show you how much he loves you by giving Himself, given his his son, the second member of the Trinity, who he dwelled in eternity with, to allow right. There's nothing more loving for Jesus to take on flesh, right? God taking on flesh to come to this world to be a sacrifice for our sins. I lost here on my notes. All right. This is when I freestyle and go for two more hours. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, right. So the supreme act that God shows us of, of his love is sending his son to rescue us from our sins. God's love is ultimately expressed in the sacrificial sending of his son. And because this is Advent, you know, um, we go back to Genesis. And we see when God created the world and he created man and he created man to be his representative on his earth, um, to, to be like him, to, to rule and have dominion. But what happened is, right, Adam lost that when he rebelled against God, when he allowed himself to be uh, persuaded to question God's goodness, when he and Eve wanted to be put on the same level, right? And so this was the ultimate betrayal Right, and because Adam is all our father, is our uh, is the first man created. He's our, our father, our representatives. When he sinned, right, the implication was that we we all inherit, right, his sin. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, right. But if you go to Genesis 3.15, you read, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and, uh, and of her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is, what's so great about God's love is that even when Adam and Eve rebelled, Right? And they went to go hide. What did God do? Right? He sought them out. Right? And even before, right, he gave Satan his punishment. Right? It was a wrap for him. But even before he sent Adam and Eve out of his presence, right, he, he loved on them. And he gave them hope. And this passage is a passage of, it's a love passage. It's a passage of hope. Right? Because when we see there's enmity 
between you and a woman, right, and between uh, your offspring and her offspring, we were talking about this great warfare that's about to take place, right? Satan and all the unbelieving world, right, and Jesus and all those who will come to be in him, right? And so he's saying, like, Satan is going to bruise his heel, right? Have anybody bruised their heel? I'm telling you, my boys and they Legos been tearing my heel up. It's, right, it's painful, right? But it's not a death blow, even though at that minute I feel like it, right? But that's what God is saying, right? So Satan on the cross, right? So, so when they falsely charged Jesus and he was this innocent man convicted, right? Right, that was a, that was a, that was a bruised blow, right? But God and Christ, Christ is going to give Satan, or he gave Satan the death blow, right? And because of this, we now can be reconciled to the Father, right? But this, but even like as I'm reading this story, you know there was a prequel to this, right? As we look at movies and stuff, now that when a movie has run its course and they're trying to like really squeeze that baby for some more money, they say, oh, prequel, right? Then it did the sequels. We get tired of the sequel. And then they say, ah, prequel. Well, there was a prequel to creation, right? Because in eternity, right? Because God is love and he is eternal and in eternity past, it was decided in eternity before the foundation of the world that God would send his son to become a man, right? That he would take on flesh, that he would be 100% God, 100% man, and he will be our representative, right? Um, he will obey all the demands of the covenant of works, right? So Jesus comes down and he loves to perfection, right? He loves the Lord to perfection and he cared for others, right? He held, held all those laws that we could not do, right? And on our behalf, right? So he did all this on our behalf and he paid the penalty of sin for which we deserve. Ephesians 1, 4, 6 speaks of this, where it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, and which with which he has blessed us and to be loved. I love Ralph Erksine. I don't know, did I put that quote up? Sometimes I quote because, man, it just says it way better than I can. But God hath taken a marvelous way to manifest his love. When he will show his power, he makes a world. When he will display his wisdom, he puts it in a frame and form that discovers its vastness. When he will manifest the grandeur and glory of his name, he makes a heaven and puts angels and archangels and principalities and powers therein. And when he will manifest his love, what will he not do? God hath taken a great and marvelous way of manifesting it in Christ, his person, his blood, his death, his righteousness. Amen. Amen. I love that quote because you just see all of God's attributes, right? Right? Just at work, right? 
He's just glorious, right? His love is just so transcendent. Just who he is is just so different from us. And now because of the work of Christ, we are no longer children of wrath. That we have been reconciled with our God. Merry Christmas. Amen. And so it says, beloved, in verse 11, it says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So now, as disciples, right, for those of us who have uh, repented of our loveless ways, our hateful ways, right, and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are now God's beloved. And now our love is patterned after God's love, right, a love that continuously gives to others, right? The way that we go about figuring out what we're going to do with our life is not the way that the world does it. We don't go, I want to become a doctor to get paid. It's, man, I love the Lord and he gave me these, these gifts and how can I use it to add value and care for man, right? It, the way we love now and the give of ourselves, Right? You know, when I'm, when we're in our marriage, I'm loving my wife and she's loving me. And, and even when I, I fall short of the glory of God, right, you know, she's growing in Christ. And so she could tolerate me more. And, right? and her love in Christ is growing because now Christ abides in her. And because Christ abides in her and abides in me and abides in all of you, we can love one another. That we can break the polarizing um, disease of America where there's blue state and red state and there's Republicans and Democrats and liberals and whatever, just, you know, Michigan and Ohio state, like all these things, right? As the body of Christ, we now are not held captive to the polarization that we see in society, right? We now have the capacity to love in a way that the world can't. And God says, also, that that's how the world is going to know that we're his disciples. It's the way that we care for one another. We can get all type of things passed, right? We can get our laws and everything passed, right? But that's not going to, like, get the world praising and worshiping God. Abortion can end tomorrow, but the world will not worship God. Right? We can have prison reforms that's not going to cause the world to stop and say, wow, God is good. At least not in a sense of what God's goodness is, right? But when the world starts to see a church that is, that is breaking through cultural barriers, political barriers, and we're unified, and we're unified right, to the world, that's when they go, wait a minute, something is, something is different, right? 
Because none of these ideologies, they don't have a, a complete understanding of God's love and a complete understanding of God's justice. So both sides fall short. Why? Because it's sinful men, right? Promoting their self-interest, promoting their love. But what we do is that we speak love into it, right? We speak for the, on the behalf, right, of the marginalized, whether it's Black Lives Matter or the pro-life movement, we're there preaching God's truth, calling people to repentance and pointing them to the loving God that is ready now to forgive them of all their sins. That's why Christ came into the world because his love is powerful enough to bring justice to the world, right? His love is beautiful enough to be to just treasure and joy and find pleasure in, right? It's, it's, it's beautiful enough, it's peaceful enough to be able to just blanket the earth when he returns. That's the God that we serve. That's our Savior. Amen. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And so now, what do we do? All right? All right? So we continue. All right? As we are now have the Holy Spirit abiding in us, right? The scripture says we, we could have assurance. Because if you're loving in a way that God's love, then you're of his. Uh, I love that. Right? That gives us assurance. So when you're looking at the way the world loves and you're reading your scripture, Right? And you're yielding to the Holy Spirit, right? You're, you're mortifying the sins in your life, right? So that you be able to care for others, right? With no expectation. You know, then you know that you're of Christ when you're loving your brother and you're loving your neighbor in a sacrificial way. And then as a unified church, we go out to the world. And we testify of our God. You know, I want to end that. So as we're, and I'm going to wrap up. I hope I'm under an hour. I try to get under an hour. But I want to just kind of share with you a story. You know, my wife went out of town for a week to visit her family in New Orleans. Uh, this was an opportunity for her to get away from the house. You know, my wife wonderful woman, you know, was homeschooling, um, just serving the body, you know, and caring for me well. And so I get to take a vacation, right? And I could get away from the post office, but when my, my wife didn't have that luxury. And so we decided like, Hey babe, you know, take a break from us, <laughs> right? <laughs> and go visit your family. Now when she left, right, you know, I have to do what now? I have to, like, carry out her duties, right? Now I'm Mr. Ma. And so cooking, cleaning, caring for the kids, et cetera, et cetera. And for the first few days, things was good and rolling fine. But then one night, as I prepared the boys' lunch for the next day, because they were in summer camp, I got this overwhelming feeling of loneliness, 
right? Because I just, you know, I, I just began to desire my wife, right? And the crazy part about it, I mean, it wasn't that I was lonely. I mean, my daughters was there helping me, you know, my sister, you know, I had you guys, you know. But, you know, you guys was in Maryland, right? <laughs> and so I, I text her like, hey, babe, I miss you, you know, da-da-da-da-da, sweet nothings on the phone, <laughs> all right? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> right? And it, it was cool, right? But it didn't stop my longing. Right? Right? Now, I, I knew that she was going to return. Right? But as she was away, I just longed for her. And it's the same thing with us. Right? We're, we're, we're doing the Lord's will on this earth. Right? We're, we're on mission here at Mac. We're loving our community. We're loving one another. Right? And we're helping each other. Right? Caring for each other. Right? We're not alone. Right? We've got a wonderful family here. Right? But even though we're doing all this, and even though we can pray to the Lord and, and have communications with him, and we know that he hears our prayers, right? It doesn't stop us from longing for him to return, right? And so as we praise him for the promises that he already, he's always, he has already fulfilled, right? And as we continue to grow in Christ and understand the treasure that Christ is and his beauty and his glory, I pray that we will have a heart that not just during Advent, long for him, but that will be just our posture until he return. Amen. Amen. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, I just, uh, Lord, just thank you so much for your love. Lord, just thank you so much for sending your son. And Jesus, thank you for coming. And Lord, as we continue to serve you and love you, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would just allow our hearts to grow deeper in our understanding of you. And Lord, we all long for a loving ending to all this. We all long to see your glorious appearance. And Lord, we love you and we honor you. And may you and you alone receive all the glory. Amen.